Hey guys, it's Alicia and Kenny here, and welcome back to another episode of Not Me, Not Today podcast. Hello, and hello to everyone, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to part two. I am so sorry it has taken this long. I hate leaving that much of a gap between parts. It's just work ramped up and I've been all over the place. I won't do that again. Sorry. I know you were, guys. She's been flat out for weeks. Now that we're able to sit down, how are you doing? I'm doing really well now, thank you. Just really looking forward to bringing you the second half of this story. How are you? I'm all right. Keeping busy, staying safe, and I hope you're all are too. Before we get into this, I just want to say thank you to Suspended Magic for their review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your kind words. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Suspended Magic. Really nice. We're really glad you're enjoying the pod. Before Alicia dives into part two of this long-awaited tale, I'll give a brief synopsis of what happened in part one, so we know where we left off. Holly and Jerry married and went on their year-long honeymoon. They took off on a little plane from Pucalpa, which, as we mentioned, is the exact same town where Yuliani Kopka's plane went down. It was also nearly about a year afterwards as well. Yes. Their plane crash lands in a prison where the jungle is the fence. A few days later, they finally get a plane and go to Puerto Maldonado. They meet a man who tells them to build a raft and sail down the Madre de Dios River in Rebralta. Yes, although I apologise, I said Madre de Rios in the last episode, not Dios. Facepalm moment. Oh yeah, well, at least you'll get it right this week. <laughs> I will. Whilst on the raft, they get in trouble with border guards, shooting at them, and a massive storm throws them off course. Finally, they hit a dead end, with the supplies almost gone, and they decide they're going to have to swim out to land. Jerry finds and gets a little raft. They're both planning to ditch the pink palace in favour of this small one, that they can manoeuvre easily. And I guess I'll take it from here then. They wake early the next morning and get dressed. Aren't they planning on swimming? (laughs) Yes, but I'd like some level of protection against butt leeches, wouldn't you? (laughs) Fair point. They opened the can of tuna and ate it for breakfast. It wasn't very much, it was barely more than a mouthful. They packed up the remainder of their supplies, ready to leave. They had a can of evaporated milk and the remains of a packet of sugar and dehydrated pea soup. They had cigarettes and matches wrapped in plastic, sealed inside a small tin to ensure they kept dry. Priorities. (laughs) Malaria pills were also on that list of transferable items, as well as wool blankets and whatever clothes that they could fit. They also had a little iodine bottle too. Holly made a heartbreaking decision and decided to leave her camera behind, along with her unused and partially used camera film. Oh no, this is like Kevin from the Yossi Ginsberg story all over again. They must have kept some though, since we have pictures relating to this story. They did, but I'll come to that later. Anyway, they packed their bags and clambered onto the little raft. This'll give an indication as to how small their raft was. When they both got on it, it sank a few inches into the water. It floated, but it soaked their knees in the bottom of their bag. Surely that can't be good. When they get into any rough river, that won't last. Agreed, and we will come to that soon. So, they tried to paddle up a channel towards a larger body of moving water. But it was hard. The raft was small, and they paddled with sticks and a paddle that they'd taken from the Pink Palace. It was a lot of physical effort. They actually sang a song together to get themselves in sync. It was more of a chant, really, but it allowed them to paddle with more efficiency, which also kept up their morale. Eventually, they caught a current that, although it was slow, was strong and carried them through the jungle. At times, they struggled to stay on the raft and had to sit on it properly, using their legs to clasp onto it to ensure that they didn't fall off. Well, that sounds like it's going to be an absolute disaster. If you felt helpless on the big raft, why would you go into a smaller one? They don't know what types of hazards they come across, I guess, especially now that they've been moved off course. I totally agree, but we weren't there, so who knows. But it does sound to me like it was a very silly idea for all of those reasons. After moving through bends in what initially seemed to be the river again, they tried to pull themselves off to the sides to get some rest. Staying upright and safe on that river was now a lot more physical effort since they were on a smaller raft. Exactly my point. <laughs> I know. Eventually, after a while, they saw a gap in some reeds where they might be able to pull in for a break. 
It took a lot of effort to pull themselves out of that current and they embraced the calm of the water as they waded through the reeds. They slowly pulled themselves along until they found some logs that had piled up after being carried in by the water. Holly and Fitz stood up and clambered upon them, feeling their weight upon their feet. It was the first solid piece of land they had stood upon in days. Oh yeah, that border point was the last time they were on actual land. That's mad. I guess you don't really think about it. Days since you've touched solid ground. It's different for like fishermen and trawlers, I feel, because once you're out at sea, there is no land and you know there's no land. But when you're supposed to be where there is land and jungle surrounds you, yet you can't touch it, it does make you stop to think a little bit. Yeah, it does. They rested on the logs and drank some water, and Fitz lit up a cigarette. I'm surprised he's got any left by now. He seems to be smoking them all. (laughs) Me too. They were one of his last few, though. Yeah, I'm not surprised. They tried to not let their situation affect their relationship. They made sure to be on the same team and not snap at one another. Oh, yeah. Let's wait until the real hunger sets in. There's no Snickers out there. (laughs) True, although wait until the end. It's past the time they should have arrived at Rebralta, no? Pretty close. They did discuss it with each other, but they felt that they should press on just in case. Things were laid back and lazy here. They may leave it a few more days before being truly concerned. So they decided to paddle on, pushing the raft over logs. What about the bum-leeching fish? (laughs) Well, that was a major concern. In the book, there's mention of them tightening their sphincters when in the water whilst wearing jeans just in case, which I feel is just so real. Don't tell me that none of you listeners thought about it or did exactly that when thinking about this. (laughs) But the bumfish would find their way in no matter what, apparently, so Holly and Fitz just resigned to the fact that they would need to get out ASAP. Then they could just get the medical help and sort out any unwanted parasites. After about 10 to 12 hours of paddling against the current and pulling into a tree that they wanted to sleep in for the night, they looked back. They could still see the pink and blue of their old raft, the Pink Palace. Oh, that would be so defeating. After 10 to 12 hours of physical effort and paddling, and you can still see it, that must have really harmed the morale. Oh, it did. Holly struggled with it more so than Fitz, but they were both disheartened by it. They tried to settle in for the night, sleeping on branches and using vines to provide some sort of safety. Oh, just think of all the bugs on those vines. Uh, They were almost eaten alive that night by the mosquitoes and bugs. Holly couldn't sleep because any time she truly drifted off, she'd feel herself slipping off the branch and shoot awake, her heart racing. Sounds torturous. Well, shortly after that, in their first night off the raft, Holly heard a motorised sound. It sounded like a boat motor. She woke Fitz up and he heard it too. They both shouted for help in Spanish. Into the darkness. Well, that'll get the heart pumping. Unfortunately, the motorised sound was too loud and whoever was travelling in that boat couldn't hear their screams for help. Oh, it's just knock after knock. It really is. It's going to get worse too. So the next morning, they set off again, after eating almost the last of their food. As they travelled up against the river, they soon noticed that the clouds above them are darkening. It isn't long before they block out the sun and birds were flying overhead, away from it. Oh, another storm. Well, this is going to go well. Well, it begins to rain. Sheets of rain that pelted them for hours. They had no protection in this raft. It soaked them to the bone as they straddled it, using their arms to protect their faces from the force of the raindrops. It wasn't long before the storm became too much. The river filled again, gaining in strength, eventually twirling the raft like a twig. They were helpless. They were now clinging onto the raft with their arms, desperately trying to keep their heads above the water. They struggled to catch breath from the waves that continuously broke over their heads. This time, Holly cursed herself for insisting on the raft ride. She felt stupid for being so naive and being drawn in by the allure of adventure and unrivaled experiences. 
She felt so bad, in fact, that through the storm and rush of water, she shouted her apology to Fitz. Actually, I'd probably find it hard not to say I told you so to you, because you'd be the one getting us into a mess like that. <laughs> Agreed. Well, Fitz reassured her that it wasn't just her. He agreed to go. Eventually, they find themselves right back at the Pink Palace. It hardly moved from when they last left it. They clung to it for solace, tying their raft alongside. The storm began to settle and the sheets of rain became drizzle. As Holly and Fitz managed to steady themselves in the Pink Palace and shelter from the storm, they heard another buzzing noise overhead. The sky was still grey with cloud and it sounded like a plane. They searched the sky and in the distance, through a gap in the clouds, flew a small two-propeller plane. It started to fly low over the swamp towards them. Oh, that relief. They began shouting and screaming for help, but it picked back up and flew away. They never catch them on the first flyby, do they? <laughs> Surely seems that way. Although, I guess there's nowhere to land. Holly had honestly believed when she saw the Pink Palace that God had sent it to them. And the plane. So she struggled to believe that the plane hadn't seen them. It was time for them to be resourceful. They realised now that people were probably looking for them. Now they needed to live until help came. So self-preservation became their main priority. They needed to make sure that they could wait out some sort of help. They took off their wet clothes and attempted to dry them. Now they needed to rest. They finally had a safe, solid place to sleep. The first time in days. Wow, I bet they slept like logs. <laughs> I can imagine that was exhausting and was such a deep sleep. <laughs> it was, but they are sleeping on logs. They woke up and whilst well rested, their muscles ached. Surviving in the water the previous day had battered their bodies. Fitz made the last of the food that they had, including the last water purifying tablets. Oh, do they still have the hooks? Yeah, and they were going to have to catch their own food. Fitz got a line ready, using algae as bait, attempting to catch lunch. Holly created a help sign, struggling through fatigue and physical exhaustion without food. They tried to forage for any berries or fruit, unable to find a morsel to eat. They ate the last of their food, opening up the evaporated milk and finishing it. Oh, that must be hard to do, being surrounded by a forest teeming with life and you can't really catch or eat any of it. It must have been so difficult. February 25th was the seventh day trapped on the Pink Palace. They finally decided they were going to have to swim their way out. They pulled apart the small raft and got on a four-foot log each. They left the rest of their supplies in the tent and got into the water. They were going to swim with this up the swampy canal to the main river. So they're basically swimming back the same route they did before getting swept back down. Yeah, but this time they did it in a much shorter period of time. They didn't talk unless necessary to conserve all the energy they would need for the swim. They reached the tree that they had slept in nights prior in a matter of hours. They in fact rested there briefly before moving onwards back up the flooded canal towards the river. To rest, they created dams with broken logs that they manoeuvred to create some sort of wall. Holly and Fitz slept on this wall again, suffering through a rainy, stormy night. Lightning flashed and struck at the water around them. Helpless, they just tried to sleep through it. I'm sure the mosquitoes were eating them alive too. They were. It didn't matter about the rain, they still bit and attacked them. They set off again the next morning, still on their way towards the Madre de Dios River, from their swampy canal. They clung to their logs and kicked their way through the water. Holly and Fitz tried to cling to reeds and branches along the sides to help anchor their progress and not be carried backwards downstream. Eventually, the closer they got to the river, the stronger the current became. Their floating logs were now becoming a problem. They were starting to drag them backwards. It became a mental fight. 
So they give up these logs or carry on and find other ways to make their way with the logs. I don't know what I'd do. If they're a danger and that they'd drag you back, I think I'd let them go. But if they're the things helping you to keep afloat in all this, maybe you should actually keep it. It's a tough one. I agree. I'm not sure what I'd do either. But they kept them. They pulled themselves upstream, clinging onto grasses. They needed to find an inlet to provide relief. Just ahead of them, they saw a dark hole in the underbrush. They pulled themselves towards it. The deeper they went, the water was black and silent. As they moved uneasily through the water, Holly stepped into some dark silt. It became thick and like mud. It began to suck her under. She began to panic and kick her legs, but it made the situation worse. Pausing and remembering a previous incident in her life where she had fallen into a bog, she calmed herself. Slowly she used the log and twisted and calmly manoeuvred her way out. That's so scary. It's the same thing Yossi went through as well. It's something I always thought I'd encounter more of when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, me too. Too much Indiana Jones, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. They noticed a strong current. They must be getting closer to the river. It was more wading and swimming. Fitz began to lose control. He got angry and yelled at the sky, cursing to God aloud. He verbalised all his anger and anguish, and Holly comforted him. Fitz wanted to turn back and head back to the Pink Palace. He just couldn't go any further. Holly did not, but they just didn't have the strength to go on. So again, they floated back to the Pink Palace. Oh, again, that's so much wasted energy. I know they didn't know each time it would fail, but that is a lot of energy wasted. Yeah, I know. They were going to have to just try and survive once again. They rested on the raft. It was their haven. They looked out for bugs and fish. They didn't want to eat the plants or berries because they didn't know if they would be poisonous or not. They stood a better chance with bugs and amphibians. If you can catch them. Exactly. They struggled to catch them. They looked for frogs. But all they managed to get was a slimy grub, which they took as fish bait. But it fell off the hook after the first casting. Oh, that is tough luck. Indeed. Fitz was kicking himself for not bringing a gun because there were birds in the trees. They just couldn't reach them because they were too high up. Note for listeners, take a gun. <laughs> on the 11th day of being trapped in that swampy place on the Pink Palace, the bait they so desperately looked for fluttered its way onto the raft. Butterflies in their dozens landed upon the raft and Holly and Fitz killed all of them to use as bait for fish. Oh, cool. Well, at least they're catching some sort of break now. Well, it didn't last long, I'm afraid. They used up all the butterflies and nothing took the bait. Rather, not enough to get stuck on the hook. It was hot and humid, stiflingly hot. They sought shelter from the sun inside their tent. I can't imagine there's much more relief inside a plastic tent. Ugh, I know I've said this a million times before, but honestly, I hate the heat. That would be a nightmare for me. But they kept their spirits high by talking about old memories and stories about eating. They went another day without any food. Then they went another, but resorted to eating toothpaste to soothe the pain of hunger. Holly and Fitz had the most horrible wake-up call the next morning. Oh, what now? They woke up to a blanket of bees. They covered them and would sting. They were licking their sweat. Holly and Fitz both rolled off into the water, hoping to drown them. But it was no use. They swarmed above, waiting for them to rise and emerge from the water. That sounds like a cartoon. <laughs> That's what I thought it sounded like when I read it. They made a desperate leap and run for the tent and inside the mosquito net. Bees swarmed them, but they managed to get inside, killing the ones that escaped inside with them. But just as they killed them all and tried to comfort each other, they heard another droning plane noise in the distance. Are they sure it's not bees? <laughs> this was a different humming noise. 
So they took their chances and rushed back out into the bees to grab the help sign that Holly had made a few days ago. The plane passed them by, flying low again. They shook the sign, screaming for help, bees swarming them. It flew to about 50 yards away from them, then it went up and over the trees, away again. Well, they probably couldn't land there. Maybe if they did see them, they're giving locations to boats who can find them or something. Well, I thought so too. There's no need to panic. However, you would at least think that they would circle you to let you know that they know that you're there. Again, they were alone. Just them and the jungle. They tried again to catch some food. They couldn't bear to go another day without it. Their clothes already hung off them and their ribs began protruding. And yet, somehow, Holly had an epiphany. It was her personal epiphany and something that sparked a bit of a drive in her. What was it? She wanted a baby. (laughs) No way, really? Yep. She woke up on March 4th and her first thought was, I want to have a baby. She suddenly felt calm and rested and not in pain anymore. She told Fitz about it. Uh, There's a time and a place, Holly. (laughs) I know, right? But he did want them too, although not as strongly as she wanted them. She said she felt overwhelmed with this need to have a child. It gave her sudden clarity and confidence in herself and their ability to get out. She knew she wasn't ready to die and she woke up having found herself, according to Holly. It renewed her confidence and they were going to survive. She could feel it. They had the genius idea of using the mosquito net as a fishing net. That's a great idea. Isn't it though? And yet so obvious. It definitely is. Did they catch anything? They did. They caught three minnows. Fitz ate two and Holly ate one. They ate them whole and alive. That must be such a weird feeling. Their stomachs must have had all sorts of weird feelings going on. Right. Well, they felt nauseous but did manage to keep them down. They were still starving though. It had been almost a week since they'd eaten anything. It had been two weeks since they'd caught anything. Yeah, it wouldn't touch the hunger, to be fair. Not a teeny little minnow, anyway. Exactly. The next morning, they drank their very last of their coffee. And for breakfast, they had slugs, because the strangest thing happened. They started to come up through the cracks of the raft. How do they know they're not poisonous? They didn't. They genuinely thought it was a sign from God, and said that if they were meant to live, then they weren't poisonous. And if they were meant to die, then they will be. But it's up to God, and they needed to place their trust into him. I really do like the fact that most of these stories have connections to God or a higher power of some sort. It's really interesting. Me too. Is there something to that? Who knows? Hmm. Anyway, they boiled the slugs to get rid of any harmful bacteria and then Holly caught a frog that hopped up onto the raft. Whoa, really? All this food suddenly coming to them? Well, it would be hard not to have a little faith after that. Totally would. Then she found two more. They tasted horrible and she tried to pretend she was eating escargot. They both struggled with the texture. Holly had an overwhelming urge to chew, and chewed a couple of the slugs. She described the ooze squidging out onto her tongue. It was so good and so gross. The frogs she swallowed whole. Fitz ate all of them whole. Delicious. (laughs) The following two days were just wind, rain, and more storms. So bad, in fact, that they couldn't fish or attempt to catch any more fish. They also told each other survivor stories to keep each other inspired and entertained. That's us all day long. Or more you, I guess, telling the stories. True. Totally me. Rickenbacker was the story that they told, which is a story I will cover. I saw that there was an article on him recently. Surely someone's looking for them now, though. It's been like 15 days, you said. 17 now, actually. They were supposed to take a minimum of five and a maximum of ten. Surely Rebralta was organising a search party at this point. I know, but they don't know what's happening. All they can do is try and survive and hope for the best. Then they went back out again the next day and searched for food and managed to find... 
Another new raft. Oh, you weren't kidding when you said that people just abandon rafts. <laughs> nope. And this one was in the Goldilocks zone. Smaller than the Pink Palace, but bigger than the little raft that sank a couple of inches deep in the water when they sat on it. By day 19, they finally managed to eat berries that Holly had found. They had reservations about them being poisonous. Can't use that logic anymore. Exactly. So they ate them. They woke up on the 20th day feeling alive and not poisoned, which was a welcome relief. So they ate a few more berries. Holly even caught a large grasshopper and kept it in a tin for later. They used the new raft to try and look around for food. They noticed a lot of birds. Holly and Fitz sat and watched them coming in and going out of the bushes. Oh, the bird's nest. Eggs for breakfast. Almost, not quite. So yes to the bird's nest, no to the eggs. They found a bird's nest, took it down onto the raft and actually found three baby birds with their eyes open huddled together. Oh no. Oh yes. They didn't. They did. Fitz cut their heads off and drained their blood into a frying pan. He skewered the three of them on a stick and placed them over the hot coals. They ate everything and slurped the warmed blood. For dessert, they had the rest of the berries and grasshoppers. That is so disgusting and sad. Totally revolting, but clearly necessary. Then, after dinner, they got a rush of energy and took advantage of it. They decided to turn the hammock into a proper fishing net and threw it off the edge of the raft and left it there. The next day, they lost their penknife. It slipped out of Fitz's hand and into the water. Oh, that's rough going. Poor Fitz wasn't having a good time because the next day after that, he lost his wedding ring into the water. He'd lost so much weight that his ring had slipped off. He was devastated, but there was nothing that they could do. When they got to their 23rd day, and this is the 23rd day trapped at the dead end, not since they set off at the Pink Palace from Puerto Maldonado. They discovered that hornets had decided to start making a nest inside their tent, but just outside the mosquito net. Oh, man. (laughs) Yep, they felt that it was their final sign that they were going to die. They could feel it in their bodies. Holly tried as much as she could to try and get breakfast. She got ten slugs from the underside of the raft, and Fitz managed to catch a frog, and again they ate a few more berries. But they couldn't do much else. They had so little energy, they slept for 18 hours and woke to another morning. They spotted two large birds and followed them. They were searching for more nests, but were unlucky each time. However, Fitz did get a stroke of good luck when he caught 30 small frogs. Wow, 30? Why so many out of nowhere? Because of the rain that they'd had in the previous days. They ate them all and finally felt some true form of satiation. Every day, they fought for survival. Their main mission was to find food to survive. They knew they had no energy to truly swim out. They were so malnourished and thin now, they barely had the strength to pull up the fishing net, which still had caught nothing. On the 26th day, Holly awoke to the fear that Fitz had died. She couldn't hear him breathe, and when she shook him, he wouldn't wake up. Oh, that's dark. The panic of all that. I know. Could you imagine waking to that? He doesn't die, right? No, he doesn't. Eventually he stirred, but he was very, very weak. It wasn't going to be long before he died, and they knew it when Holly heard another buzzing sound. She searched everywhere in the sky. She saw three planes that flew off to the right. And they flew off? Yep. And she felt crushed, naturally. Because when she went to tell Fitz about it, he wasn't able to get up and told her he felt sick. Holly could feel him dying in front of her. His skin was greying. He could barely even drink the water anymore. Holly said that that was the day that they would die. Oh, that's pretty close to death. Yeah, in a last desperate attempt to try and feel normal, Fitz, on his knees, 
covered in bees, got into the water to cool down and relieve himself of their stings. When suddenly, he starts shouting for help. Holly came out of the tent to investigate the commotion. There were people on a boat paddling their way. Oh, the timing. The first humans they'd seen for 31 days. Wow, 30 days since that border post. Yep. When they got closer, they called out to them to speak, but none of the men said a word, ignoring Holly and Fitz screaming. The men, just in a synchronised motion, got closer without waving or giving any indication that they had even seen them, despite the fact they were only 20 yards away. But it unnerved them nonetheless. I think that would unnerve anyone. Holly panicked and fell backwards into the water. One man from the canoe held out his hand and plucked her from it. They collapsed on the bottom of the canoe. They were finally saved and sobbed almost uncontrollably. You're a miracle. We've been here 26 days, Holly blurted out in Spanish. There is no land here. There are no people, one of the men told them. He told them how he found them. Were they part of a search crew? No pure luck. They were hunting turtles, then saw a monkey. As you do. <laughs> they wanted to hunt that monkey, so they followed it out of the Madre de Dios River and into the swamp where they lost it. But they saw the pink palace and Fitz. Lago Santa Maria was the name of the swampy lake that they had been stuck in for 26 days. Holly and Fitz explained to them how they came to be there. I mean, can you imagine that, though, coming across two American tourists in a swamp in the middle of nowhere? Never mind the fact that they'd survived a plane crash. That is some story. I mean, if it wasn't for finding them yourself, you'd almost never believe it. Yeah. They asked them for food and to help them take them to the town that they were headed for. They found out that they were only eight hours from Robralta. Eight hours, less than a day. Perfect. Well, eight hours by boat, but yeah, they could have made it in a day if they'd had a boat. Which is amazing, since it took them a day to get to that tree that they slept in, which wasn't even at the Madre de Dios River. The men offered them a chance to grab a few of their things. Holly and Fitz got a couple of things, but the men said that they can take nearly everything that they had. So the two men destroyed the raft, stripping it and piling it into the canoe, even pulling up the raft floorboards and the nails. For supplies. Yeah, because it's out in the middle of nowhere, and they were of value. However, before they loaded the floorboards... Holly and Fitz pleaded with them to leave them and just get moving because they were so hungry. Yeah, I would too. Same. They offered them for some food. It was a corn drink and fried plantain, which are similar to bananas. It was a long canoe ride as the canoe was cut from a single balsa log. Holly fantasised about the food and asked them about all the food she might have when they got back, which the men chuckled at. Fitz, however, was sceptical and paranoid that they were going to kill him. Yeah, clearly the hunger getting to him, but I can see his point Pretty much. I mean, the men could have killed them, but they could have done it earlier. Anyway, they obviously didn't kill them and got to the river. The river carried them to the men's village, and the closer they got, the hungrier they became. But finally, they were there. When they got off the boat, it was the first time they had touched solid ground for more than a month. I felt a little bit bad for them, because when they got off the boat, people seemed to just be really laid back. The men from the raft left Holly and Fitz alone for a bit, and just no one came rushing to them with food. Seems strange, not the kind of welcome you'd want. I thought the same. However, eventually a woman came to them and gave them an orange each. But that was it, despite the crowd gathering around to hear their story. Holly and Fitz just kept begging for food. Finally, they were given a plate of rice, fried plantains, and then more oranges. A crowd gathered to watch them eat. The crowd parted, and a woman stepped forward with a silver hair. She snatched the orange from Holly and threw it away. Well, that's something I didn't see coming. How come she did that? 
She introduced herself as Gregoria Dresday. She told Holly that the oranges were a terrible idea. The acid from them will harm her stomach. Oh, that makes total sense. No need to be so dramatic about it, though, Gregoria. <laughs> they were finally led indoors to a house. She made food for them that would be a bit more appropriate. The house soon filled with family and neighbours looking to gawk further at these two strangers. They helped to make things more comfortable for them, setting up hammocks and getting blankets, that kind of thing. As Gorgoria's nieces and grandnieces invaded their personal space, fascinated by these new arrivals, Holly reached into her bag and gave them the remaining jewellery that she had. There were a few rings she gave them as a thank you for their help. However, as much as they marvelled at them, they gave them back and said that they didn't want their rings. What they had already received was more than enough. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Gregoria insisted that they visit a doctor before moving on, and she also informed them that her husband can take them in a boat to Rebralta in the morning. The two men, who had rescued them, came in just before they went to sleep, with a chicken, some money, and some eggs. They felt bad about accepting the things that Holly and Fitz had given them, and wanted them to have two weeks' pay and one of their best chickens. How nice is that? Oh, that is so nice, especially when they don't have much themselves. Exactly, it's so lovely. Holly was touched, and the next morning, Gregoria's husband hurried them into a boat. Holly took some pictures. Then finally, they were on their way. It took them six hours to get there. When they finally arrived upon the shore, Fitz collapsed and asked for a hospital. They got onto motorbike cabs and eventually got there. A nurse came to greet them, not knowing what they'd been through. She insisted they walk in and up the stairs, and she sat them down. The nurse was also a nun, and she was also from Connecticut. Oh, cool. The doctor had arrived and was horrified at their state. He admitted them. They also told them their story. The doctor told them that they were less than 24 hours away from death. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, they both knew and felt it, but still. I agree. Fitz had a parasitic amoeba, which is why Fitz kept feeling sick and having stomach cramps. Oh, at least it isn't that parasitic bumfish. <laughs> Silver linings, eh? It took four days before Holly was able to walk. It took Fitz even longer. Then finally it came time to contact their parents. Oh yeah, how did they feel about it? Well, up until a day or two, they hadn't a clue what had happened. They naturally were relieved to know that they were alive, despite not knowing that they were about to die a few days prior. They didn't even know? Nope. And even by the time she spoke to Holly, she didn't know what had really happened. They were discharged on April 2nd, 1973. Still incredibly thin and underweight, but good enough to be let out. They got on a plane and headed to safety. It took them two days to get to JFK Airport and into the arms of their families. So, what happened afterwards? Well, by October, they were straight back to travelling. They literally travelled the world, and I'm not going to go into all the places and what they did because these episodes have been long enough. <laughs> and the time in between them. I know. Fair though. Did she have a baby? Yes, she did. They had two children, two daughters named Megan and Aiden. In 1982, Jerry dabbled in some politics and joined Governor Michael S. Dukakis as a campaign press secretary and was even briefly his director of communications in the governor's office. He had a career as a trial lawyer split between prosecution and defence, primarily on murder cases. Oh, I bet that piqued your interest. Oh, it did. But honestly, he's done loads of things, even writing plays, and as far as I'm aware, still on occasion, writes the odd column for the Providence and Art Papers magazine. Then in 2013, at the age of 66, Jerry lived in Amelia, Italy, 
which is where he stayed doing a graduate program in art crime. Oh, I thought you were going to say he died there. <laughs> no, although it probably could have worded that better. Yeah, you could have. What a choice of subject at his age, though. So cool. I know, right? I love both art and crime, but I didn't really know it was a combined thing. So I googled it, and it's people who steal art from almost priceless paintings to valuable sculptures and things like that. I knew people did that, but I didn't realise it had its own name. They both currently live in Pandanaram, Massachusetts. Holly recently wrote a book, which I'll come on to in a second. It's amazing. So, my favourite thing about this whole story is that they created their own special holiday in Thanksgiving. Every year, since the rescue, on March 16th, which was their day of rescue, they hold a personal Thanksgiving, where they eat the same meal they did that day. Fish, rice and oranges. It is known as Raft Day. That is so nice. And they continued that when they had kids too. Yeah. It became a family tradition. It's a time they ground themselves and give thanks for being alive and all the luxuries that they have now, even the food. That's tremendous. I love that. Me too. So I guess I'll take you on to any books and film adaptations now. Holly wrote a book called Ruthless River, which was published in 2017. It is where a large amount of the research on this podcast came from. Obviously, I had many sources, but the book gives such a nice account. I didn't do it justice in these episodes, really. I mean, I did my best, but I did leave a lot out because you should just check it out yourselves. It's even available on Audible. I really recommend this one. It took her six years to write it. I mean, it took her decades to get around to writing it down, but from page one to the finished product, it took her six years to complete. The main reason for so many facts and something I left out was she kept a journal the whole time, writing in it all that they ate, spent and did. That is so interesting. Yeah, so there really is more to the story which you should check out. The full name for it is Ruthless River, Love and Survival by Raft on the Amazon's relentless Madre de Dios. That title gives me Michael Scott vibes. <laughs> <laughs> the long version of it does, yeah. But yeah, they are worth the buy or the credits or whatever you use. The only thing I will say is that the book doesn't cover much of what happened afterwards, maybe like a paragraph. This is mainly the incident and the backstory. As for movies, they currently are having talks. As of this time last year, a screenplay was being written and both Holly and Jerry had dinner in London with Matt Sharman. I recognise that name somewhere. He wrote Bridge of Spies, which Spielberg directed in 2015. Ah, oh, okay then. Yeah, so you know it's going to be good stuff. He's just looking for the right director. As for why there are so little photos, considering they had a camera, Holly said she didn't take photos because she thought that they were going to die and they'd never be found anyway, so she just didn't see the point. They took them in the initial journey, but once they hit the swamp, they didn't take any as their focus was on survival and trying to get out. That makes complete sense. Doesn't it? You can also find interviews and a TED talk that Holly gave on YouTube. So yeah, that is finally it in the story of Holly and Jerry Fitzgerald. Again, sorry for the delay. I promise I won't do that in a two-parter ever again. Thanks, Alicia. We really enjoyed that. I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that movie, though. Me too. Well, guys, if you want to check out the photos, you can head to the page by clicking the link in the description in the show notes. You can always reach us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or head over to the website, notmenottodaypodcast.com. If you have any suggestions, send them over to notmenottodaypodcast at gmail.com. Like and subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Feel free to write one or just click the five stars. It only takes a minute and it really helps. Until next time, stay alive. Bye. Bye.